0: Hello, and welcome to Step Into Light. I'm Michelle Jones, and I'm so excited I have my good friend, Diana Boren, with me today. Hello, I'm excited to be here. Yes. Okay, we are going to be covering more of Jacob's teachings to us. Jacob shares with us, we kind of have, I felt like, two distinct parts to our reading this week. He shares with us first this quite infamous allegory of Zenas and the olive tree, And then we get a little bit more sort of daily life interaction in Chapter 7, where we get to see a little bit more plot happening. And so I'm excited to dive in. Before we start diving into Chapter 5, I did appreciate that in the manual that we have for this week as we're covering Jacob 5 through 7, it separated out some of the sections because Chapter 5, I believe, is the longest chapter in the Book of Mormon. It can be... Kind of a beast sometimes to get through in one reading, right? You kind of start speeding up as you get toward the second half of the chapter. So I appreciated (laughs) that it broke it down and it kind of gave like a refreshed step each, you know, along the way. So before we jump into any specific verses, Diana, did you have any thoughts about um, chapter five before we jump into it?
1: Yes. So um, I was really curious about who Zenos is. Um, since there's not a whole lot in the scriptures um, I mean he's mentioned a few times in the Book of Mormon but obviously he's not in the the Bible at all and so I did a little bit of background research and so I um, um, it actually says in the Institute manual if I can find it real quickly which is one of my
0: favorite, resources like I love that even though we're not in an institute class or at least I'm not currently in an institute class that we have that as a resource no matter which book of scripture we're reading like I have found it super helpful so I love that
1: right for sure I am and I can't seem to find it but uh, he he lived after the time of Abraham but I believe it was before Isaiah I could be wrong okay um so we're
0: talking not very long really before Lehi and his family left Jerusalem. Exactly. So this would have been a fairly recent prophet for them relatively. Yeah.
1: And so they would have been familiar with it, with the teachings because um it seems that um so actually I was going to read in in Helaman chapter 8 verse 19 at the end of the of the verse it says Zenus to testify boldly. He was a prophet at the time that that was bold in his his testimony. And for that, he was slain. So he was a martyr. And, and I think that, um, you know, Lehi's family would have been familiar with who he was because of that, partly, and also because of of what his allegory teaches, because it was obviously very important for Lehi to um, continue to share this story with his family, um, in, even as much as as Jacob, who wasn't familiar with Jerusalem, obviously, because like, he never lived well, there. Well, it's so interesting because Jacob
0: is the, is the has a direct connection to Lehi, who would have been in Jerusalem, totally familiar with it. And now here's Jacob, kind of the last of those first people coming in, right? Right. That is now bringing it forward to the next generation.
1: Exactly. It's a really cool cycle. I like that. Exactly. Well, and then... Um, so the, one of the other places where it mentions Zenos as far as um, being one of like one of the lost books of the Bible like it, it it's possible that that there was a, a book of Zenas but when the Bible was compiled in the 1600s it was left out for some reason and it could possibly be cut, be because there there's a reference in Hebrews I believe um I wrote it down somewhere. Maybe I'll find it. But um, no, it's in Romans. <laughs> it's in Romans 11. They refer to the olive tree. And so perhaps they left out the book of Zenos because it was put somewhere else in the mm-hmm. Bible, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. But in 1 Nephi chapter 13, verse 29, let's see. Um, it says... And maybe I'll just start at the beginning of the verse. It's actually kind of long. But after these plain and precious things were taken away, I think referring to the to the Bible. Um, yeah, it's referring to the Bible. Uh, let's see. After they were taken away, goeth forth unto all the nations of the Gentiles. And after it goeth forth unto all the nations of the Gentiles, yea, even across the many waters, referring to Lehi's family, which hath seen with the Gentiles, with which have gone forth out of captivity thou seest because of the many plain and precious things which have been taken out of the book which are plain unto the understanding of the children of men according to the plainness which is in the lamb of god i mean this all ties into christ right
0: well and i think it's interesting as you're talking about you know all the all these journeyings we're really going to connect up with that in this really symbolic way when we're talking about the olive tree here in chapter five i mean it's literally describing all of these different journeyings and people traveling and moving. Right. So I'm excited as we jump into there to kind of see, like, basically the whole scope of Earth's history is being unfolded for us here as we're seeing exactly all in this olive tree. And the cool thing about that is... That when it is not so literal, it gives us the opportunity to think about it in a different way and maybe to open our mind up to noticing things that we may not have noticed if it was just spoken so literally or directly. At least I found my questions were a little bit different or I thought about it a little bit different than I would have otherwise.
1: Well, and how important it is that we have this allegory uh, being shared with us because It was part of this the brass plates it was included in the brass plates that they that nephi got from laban so even though it's not in the bible it's important for us to have it now and that that it was preserved for for this time so
0: okay i love that so as we start chapter five the very first section that we're going to come across begins in verse three and so the this first section that we're going to cover really is talking about the scattering of Israel in the time before the savior. So this is the time that Jacob is preaching in here. Like this is his time that he's describing for his people. So um, it's interesting. So the setup is that we have the Lord of the vineyard who is representing our savior. And there's some laborers and he has this vineyard of olive trees. And as he is, tending to and caring for this vineyard he realizes at the end of verse 3 that some of these trees are not doing very well (laughs) in fact they are starting to decay right so in verse 4 he says i will prune it and dig about it and nourish it that perhaps it may shoot forth young and tender branches and it perisheth not so the lord of our vineyard you know all of these things nourish a tree and They encourage healthy growth and fruit. And the Lord really like to me, what this speaks to is that he does all that he can to encourage spiritual health and resiliency in his people, just like we're seeing the Lord of the vineyard do for his trees. And during this period of time before the Savior comes, it feels like prophets are a significant way that he does that. He sends prophets to teach, to warn, to instruct, to bring hope. Right.
1: Right. Right. I've been blown away by, well, I shouldn't say blown away, but I've been so grateful for our current prophet, President Nelson. Um, I've been reading the book that Sherry Dee wrote about his life, Insights from a Prophet's mm-hmm. Life. I love that book. Yeah. And I'm I'm just at the part now where he um, talks about his experience with his, the physicians in China that he's interacted with and he's had a chance to, to get to know and... Well, that's pretty timely. It's so timely. <laughs> I mean, it's... And how President Kimball had encouraged him back in the 80s to learn Mandarin. What a blessing that is to us now that he... Not not only that he's a doctor, but that he also has these connections to China and he is familiar with the language. And he has a love for the people of
0: China. Right. right. Mm-hmm.
1: And that he's, he's the one that we are, can turn to for peace and he knows what's going on. On so many levels. I feel like it's almost <laughs> like the Lord has a plan and like he knows he see what's going to unfold
0: and that he knows what
1: we need right now. Yeah. Right? Like, right. I, I love that. So, oh, did you have a I I was just going to say, I mean, what a testimony strengthening point for me that, that Heavenly Father knows us and he loves us and he has put things in place and put people in the right places To be prepared for these times.
0: And that the things that matter to us matter to him. Right. Because the Lord knows how everything is going to resolve and come together from this pandemic. Right. And yet he still knows the comfort and the reassurance and the teachings and just all of the support that we're going to need in the meantime. Right. Even though he already knows it's going to work out and be fine. Yeah. Right. So but he's a
1: good parent and he knows that we're going to be a little nervous about things. Right. Have a little anxiety about, I don't know what you're talking about, Diana. I I never get anxious. (laughs) Okay. So we're, so we were just
0: in verse four talking about how the Lord is nourishing. Um, and then we see in verse six that there is some fruit to this labor, right? Mm -hmm. It begins to put forth somewhat a little young and tender branches But behold, the main top thereof began to perish. So as I read that, it seems to me that there were some who were responding to the Lord's nourishment and they had some fresh hope and some faith. Like, I I just love how that's worded, young and tender branches. Mm -hmm. It's maybe a tender faith. It's not deep yet, but it's there and it's, it's alive and has light. But at this time, a great majority were dead to things spiritual. So that's, you know, that's just how it was with, with all that nourishment. It's interesting that just like with plants or gardens or whatever, that we as people are the same way. Like mm-hmm. the Lord can nourish all of us and we will all respond differently to our circumstances and to what's happening. So what does he do? In verse eight, he says, I take away many of these young and tender branches and I will graft them whithersoever I will. So he sees the value. He really loves what he's seeing here with this new, fresh growth of healthy um, branches. And he says, I'm going to take these and I'm going to put them wherever they're going to grow. And it mattereth not if it so be that the root of this tree perish. And so, you know, if the root or the foundation of the society cannot sustain spiritual growth, then the tender shoots can't be sustained. So the Lord knew that if the roots weren't strong enough to support it, that no matter how fresh and tender and alive in faith these little shoots were, they're not going to survive it if, if they don't get put in somewhere where there's strength right. and nourishment for right. them. So if the master of the vineyard can see that the roots are no longer going to sustain the spiritual growth, then the Lord can take them away from that tree and graft them in where they can thrive and grow. And so this is where it was reminding me of what you were reading, that this is literally what happened with Lehi and his family. He could see in Lehi that he had a man who was an obedient prophet who was willing to do all things that the Lord asked him to do, but that the environment in Jerusalem was not going to be conducive to his exactly. posterity, having a hope of being raised in their faith.
1: And having young and tender shoots within his own family, mm-hmm. right? And it, you know okay, so I hope this isn't too much of a tangent, but living here in Arizona where we have citrus groves all over the place at least in our area which smells fabulous right now. right now oh my mm-hmm. gosh it's incredible yes. but um if if you've ever looked at a citrus tree you'll you'll probably notice down at the base that there's little shoots that come out yes so you, do you know where i'm going with this no. do you know why no okay so most of the citrus trees are they have the same stock root stock um, because they're disease resistant, and they also um, are a little bit more um, hardy during the winter, like during frost. Mm-hmm. So that they can. So what they do is it it keeps the the branches from blossoming too soon and having the frost kill off the blossoms. Does that make sense? Yeah. So most of the citrus trees around here are are grafted into the same type of rootstock that's really strong so that the tree that grows from it can survive the cold and it will more likely survive diseases and that sort of thing and so I thought a lot about that um, just visually because um, I'm such a visual learner I thought okay if I liken it to that it makes more sense to me because I've seen it okay. in my own yard and it, it just made more sense to me and it also um, sorry this, I'm taking my tangent even further it made me again wonder why why an olive tree like why the olive tree and not like as maybe we talked about earlier fish or something else that that would have been familiar to them and so I as I was studying a little bit you know in the Mediterranean olive trees are, are a huge source of nutrients and they would have been uh plentiful and the, the oils were very valuable I mean olive oil was used in lamps and, um, and also the symbolism between, between, um, the fruit of, of life and, and our savior, right? Right. And how, and the olive press right, and of the Gethsemane, olive press <laughs> and Gethsemane and, and also when olives are pressed, the oil comes out and it looks red, just like when the savior's in that garden of Gethsemane with all of the olive, cho- olive trees and, and when he suffered for us and blood from every pore. That there's so much symbolism it really that wraps beautiful. around this olive tree, and so um, as we get further in and we get to chapter seven, I I think that it kind of ties in a little bit to why somebody would would kind of apostatize and and revolt against the teachings because we're now two three generations from from those who lived in Jerusalem, so they don't really understand maybe. What it was like to live around olive trees. It's just the story that Grandpa keeps telling us. You know what I mean? (laughs) While we're working in the the yard. And they also, I mean, I guess they have their Lamanite
0: brethren, but also sort of like the culture that was starting to spring up where people were becoming very casual and not taking the things of God very seriously mm-hmm. in Jerusalem that yeah. that was also not something that was part of their culture like exactly. they're kind of surrounded by this kind of a bubble of everybody you know yeah. they've now separated from the lamanites and they're in their little bubble and so yeah in chapter 7 when that comes up i think it's a little bit of a a little bit of a like a shock like whoa what what are you what are you talking about this is a little different
1: well and i think there's another layer to this too that you know as they're they're told to leave jerusalem because it's going to be destroyed and it's like how could this city be destroyed that's crazy and we could see that now with this pandemic that how could this pandemic be such a big deal you know we haven't seen it yet i don't know anyone personally who has gotten sick from this do you thankfully no no exactly and so it's like how how you know it just doesn't i can understand the thought process and how easy it would be like you said to have these branches that wither um because it's like well i haven't seen it i haven't seen anything that confirms this yet to me everything around me
0: still is looking pretty okay except for maybe you know the grocery store is looking pretty empty (laughs) you know we've got some of these other signs okay so uh, verse 16 in chapter 5 leads us into the next section of this allegory and this part represents the mortal ministry of jesus christ and the subsequent work of his apostles so what a beautiful time to be reading about so in verse 16 it says and it came to pass that the lord of the vineyard and also the servant went down in the vineyard to labor and how blessed we are that our savior chose to come to the vineyard himself and personally labor among his people and to really lead by example It reminds me of a thought that I shared with my young women a couple weeks ago when we were doing a lesson about the Savior and talking about there's literally nothing that we can be asked to do that our Savior has not done first. Right. He does not ask us to do things that he himself was not willing to do. And it's beautiful because he knows exactly how to help us with that. Okay, and then in 17, we see a little bit about what's going on. What's the status of our vineyard during this time? It had sprung forth and begun to bear fruit. So as the is there, he's able to draw out those that would like to bear spiritual fruit and to teach them and nourish them and like yeah. have them be part of this amazing thing. Did you have any thoughts? I was going to jump down to verse 20. Did you have any thoughts in there? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, in verse 20, we see here in the middle of the verse... It had brought forth much fruit, and he beheld also that it was good. So we see this time on the earth where there is truth. There is light. There is a source of light that everybody can reference and really see. Um, so then, and then in verse 25, um, so even though we have this growth and this good thing, he did notice that um, in verse 25, only a part of the tree had brought forth tame fruit or um, fruit that can be. Be used for all of these nourishing things and the oils that we spoke about but i have nourished this tree like unto the others because in his time i mean obviously otherwise he would never have been brought before trial and crucified like he was literally yeah. killed by these people so obviously there was some spiritual death happening around him that right. they were literally unable to recognize but i love how he says i've nourished All of them like unto the same. It's not sometimes it it reminds me when we were talking in the New Testament and the Savior would like when when we talked about being a chosen people. It's not that the Savior was choosing, Okay, these specific people I'm going to teach and the other people I'm not going to let them know what the truth is. He was willing to teach and nourish everybody in that. And I think that that's such a sign of our Savior's love for all of his brothers and sisters.
1: Well, and that's evidenced in him being willing to be seen with the Samaritan, right? Absolutely. He, you know, he didn't he was going to everyone. Um if we just go back real quickly to yep. to verse twenty-two, there it says, um, this kind of struck me because it says, and the Lord of the vineyard said unto him, Counsel me not, because the the servant was asking him, why why are you putting the plant here or what's the purpose of this right why are you putting it in the poorest spot yeah this isn't like the best spot in the vineyard why are are we planting a tree here exactly Mm -hmm. and he doesn't understand and so um i was giving that a little bit of thought like how many times have we said okay heavenly father i just don't understand why you're asking this of me i don't understand why this is happening like this isn't fair how can you let this or this doesn't Be, make sense.
0: Right. Like, like what's happening now really doesn't seem conducive to this whole, like long-term eternal plan of happiness mm-hmm. outcome that I'm aiming for here with me right. and my family. Yeah. That this certainly doesn't feel like it's going to contribute to this likelihood that we're going to succeed in that. So exactly. So why are we being put in well, this situation? So
1: I, th- I like that he says, counsel me not like just have faith in me. Trust me. There's, mm. there's a, Reason and I can see the big picture, even though what I've taught you so far is that (laughs) this may be a bad spot, but something good is going to come from this. And I mean, again, we can apply that to today. I I feel like I should use this phrase with my kids like, counsel me not, just trust me. There's because I can see the bigger picture, right? And I have enough experience to know what's going to happen if we do things a certain way or do follow that line upon line, that precept upon right. precept. And even though this may seem out of place, there's a reason for it. And
0: how, what a good reminder that even though we have the opportunity, all who would like to, like really, he invites all who would like yeah. to to labor with him in the vineyard and to be servants in the vineyard, right. and that we have gifts and power that, uh, that enables us to bring this light and to bring nourishment to the vineyard but to remember that we are not the Lord of the vineyard. Right. As much as we have gifts and talents and abilities, and we think that we know the best way to prune that tree. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we are not the Lord of the vineyard. And he is the one who can see the whole vineyard and knows what is needed. And that is such a beautiful reminder. I love that.
1: Right. To always have faith in him and, mm-hmm. and trust him and look mm-hmm. toward him.
0: Okay. So the next section is verse 29. And this is, we're going to begin talking in this section of the allegory about the great apostasy. And so in verse 29, and it came to pass that a long time had passed away. And then verse 30, all sorts of fruit did cumber the tree. I thought that was an interesting phrase, like all sorts of fruits, like there was just like kind of a mismatch, like just all kinds of things Mm -hmm. going on. Yeah. And it did cumber the tree. So it wasn't like a balance. It wasn't healthy. It wasn't helpful. It wasn't balancing the roots. It cumbered it down. It weighed it down. And the word that came to my mind was confusion. I think the time of the apostasy must have been a great time of confusion for people who were living on the earth.
1: Absolutely. Because there were bits and pieces of the gospel that still existed. And there were still a lot of good people. A hundred percent. But like you said, it just, there was so much that wasn't there for them that they're kind of grasping at whatever they could take. And they're, a lot of them are uneducated. They can't read. They don't have the scriptures available right. to them. They don't have access to the
0: scriptures. Right. They don't have access to a prophet during this time. Yeah. And so they're going on the light that they have with a lot of being cumbered by mm-hmm. mixed messaging and just limited information. Right, exactly. Um, in verse 32, um, says it hath brought forth much fruit and there is none of it which is good and i so the thought that came to my mind is like can fruit be like faith like like if we're talking about that we're bringing forth fruit if we have faith in jesus christ then we can bear good spiritual fruit yeah but if we lack faith in jesus christ or maybe we're just placing our faith in other things like i have faith in you know the growing season that it's going to bring my food to me, or I, you know, I'm sure there, there were all kinds of sort of um, teachings and stories and folk tales and things that people relied on that they leaned into, that they had faith in. Right. And all of that brought them comfort and gave them direction, but it wasn't faith in Jesus Christ. And so it couldn't bear that spiritual fruit and that they, they just didn't have a way to get down to the source of that fruit. And I'm going to let you jump in if you have anything, but I thought it was such a tender part in verse 41 here in this section of the apostasy. um, It says, And it came to pass that the Lord of the vineyard wept Mm. and said unto the servant, What could I have done more for my vineyard? And I thought that was, that to me feels so um, personal. It feels so intimate that the Savior, he's not just sitting lofty on high somewhere else just saying oh well that vineyard didn't go well let's scrap it and try again let me focus over here on this other project development i have going on no this he wept that that everything was in a disarray and that the fruit couldn't be productive
1: it's relatable to me and and very human that that our our lord would weep um, Mm -hmm. out of sadness for the choices that were being made Again, I can relate to that as a parent, seeing my children making choices that that make me sad, you know? Um, Not that they're bad kids, but um, I can relate to that. And and like you said, it it seems very tangible and relatable.
0: Um, And just helps us to be able to lean into our faith mm -hmm. in our Savior more because we know that we matter to Him. Right. Like our success our struggle all of it it matters to him it does and that there, there's a comfort and a security in that um in verse 48 he's describing a little bit more about what he's observing here in the vineyard during this time of the apostasy because the branches have overcome the roots thereof behold they grow faster than the strength of the roots taking strength unto themselves and i think there's something really significant here when we think we know more than the Lord mm-hmm. or when we know more than the prophets, there's a tendency to rely on our own logic and understanding without the key element. So, you know, when the branches are outpacing the roots, right. you've got a problem here because we fail to recognize that the things of God operate on a higher level and that he sees things that we cannot see in our mor- in in this realm here in mortality. And yet we still struggle to trust that and love within the teachings he's given us. So I think sometimes we can feel impatient and push against things because we think things should be working differently than they are. And we start outpacing God's plan and his time frame for us and for our children and for all that matters to us. And like we need to be careful with that. One of the ways that I can see that being manifest sometimes is that we need to be careful not to let the culture of our religion overpower the root doctrine of Christ.
1: Wow. Yeah, that's powerful. I love how you put that. I I, I wrote down and it's even in the footnotes, the pride of the causes downfall of mm-hmm. the righteous. Mm-hmm. That, you know, we get when things are going well, it's sometimes easy to forget to Say a prayer of thanks, like okay, we you got me through that hard time, and and it's like you hit the ground running again. Like mm-hmm. okay, we're good. Right. You know, I don't good. I, I got don't this. need anything. Yep, I exactly. got exactly, and and it's like those lepers. The, the <laughs> where were the other nine? It's like only one comes back to thank. You. So you have to to be careful that you're constantly thanking and remembering the hands of the Lord in your life, regardless of how good you may have it, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, and I just love this idea that as soon as we start to get our footing, mm-hmm. I like how you say we hit the ground running. It's like we're falling, we're stumbling, we're struggling. Right. And the Lord comes into our rescue and he pulls us up and he sets us back on our feet. And we're like, thanks, I got it now. Yeah, okay, and we take off running. <laughs> yeah. it's like a and, toddler
1: at the park right? or something. And <laughs> like,
0: is that not like the shoots trying to outpace? They're like, okay, I got yeah. it, I got it. I'm growing, I'm growing, I'm growing. Yeah without stopping to, like, keep things in balance. And, I, and I, I find this in myself. Sometimes I get impatient with the trajectory of growth for my family. You know, I'm sure I do with myself, too, but it's more obvious. I mean, this is a pretty long game here when we're talking about parenting or other things going on. And so, you know, I can find myself really getting impatient like mm-hmm. i i'd really like to see this moving along a little quicker heavenly right, father like right. i know you got a plan and you've told me things are gonna be fine but from where i sit we're still looking kind of like we were last week so mm-hmm. can you send the intervention now <laughs> for whatever needs to exactly. happen next
1: you know like, like and on so my time frame not right, yours <laughs> right and so
0: that impatience is the part that i can see in myself where sometimes i am trying to outpace the roots exactly of my savior and of my heavenly father's plan for my life yeah. and for my family
1: that's awesome, Michelle.
0: Okay, so, and then in verse 50, um, so the Lord is starting to say, you know, I'm just not sure what's going to happen, if 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 we should just be done here, and verse 50 starts this time of restoration, a bringing back to the earth, the gospel, and also we're going to speak to the gathering of Israel in the latter days, um, and so this starts out with the servant saying to the Lord of the vineyard, spare it a little longer. And he starts describing what that looks like here with the trees in verse 52. Let us take of the branches of these which I have planted in the nethermost parts of my vineyard. So do you remember those tender branches that we read about like way back, you know, way back in the first section? And they've been taken wherever it was they were going to grow, spread throughout the whole vineyard, spread throughout the whole earth. And let us graft them into the tree from whence they came. Right. So we're going to gather it back and see if we can use that to bring some strength back to what is really just an earth that is not bearing fruit. Not, yeah. Not, not, not able to connect there. Um, Verse 57. I thought it was interesting. He said, pluck not the wild branches from the trees. Save it be those which are most bitter. So... and and he's going to explain this again. He says, and we will again nourish the trees in 58. And then in 59, perhaps the roots thereof may take strength because of their goodness of these new branches that are being brought in. And because of the changes of the branches that the good may overcome the evil. And I think it talks in here too, and I may have just skipped over it. You know, he's, and so I thought it was interesting that he doesn't just take, Anything that's not bearing perfectly good fruit, he just plucks it all off at once. He's like, no, no, no. We're going to wait and see what happens. Only if it's, like, the most bitter or, like, kind of toxic to the tree. Then, yeah, we need to go ahead and pull that out. But otherwise, we're just going to let it all grow together because otherwise the roots, like, otherwise it won't be in balance. There won't be enough balance between the roots and the branches if we just, like, cut all but one spindly branch off of a tree. That's not... The way that we're going to get that one branch that has the good fruit to really nourish. So I liked that.
1: It made me think about citrus trees again because okay. it's the same it's the same thing that if you have um, in fact, we had a tree that it had one branch that was starting to get some disease on it and and then it died and that disease was starting to spread down to the main part of the trunk and okay. so we had to we had to cut it off but we were worried that it would make the tree imbalanced because it was the center branch and so oh, wow. it was going to be like two side branches and then this hole in the middle and we it's a grapefruit tree so grapefruits are big and heavy, heavy. and we thought yeah. oh you know are they going to pull it and like split the trunk but we you know, we just kind of had a little, (laughs) little faith, I guess, and cut it off and it's doing great because the tree at some point is going to take, take over and heal itself. Right. And Mm -hmm. like, just like this, it's, it's going to take these tender branches that have been put into the other parts of the vineyard when they're brought back, grafting them back in, hopefully... You know, it it turns out that they're that they can um, root, take root, and and be strengthened by that original root branch, right? I love that. Does that make sense? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Well,
0: and and I really appreciate too how I'm, I'm good. I how it says um, in verse sixty one, wherefore go to and call servants that we may labor diligently with our might in the vineyard, and you know. This is an all-hands-on-deck Missionaries. Right. (laughs) The Lord of the Vineyard is saying, listen. Yeah. I am not only not giving up, but I am bringing in every resource I could possibly have to try to bring life, to bring forth healthy fruit here in the Vineyard. So... Latter-day Saints are called to be part of the gathering of Israel. And I appreciated, I think, this analogy, one of the things that it made me think of more when you think of what these servants were being called to do to Mm -hmm. literally nourish the trees, right? Right. To dig and to prune and to dung them and to do all the things that you do to trees to help nourish them. That we're speaking about missionary work, I think that feels like that's very literal and obvious that that's what we're talking about. But I also liked this picture Of that, this is part of the Lord's asking us to minister. Right. Because we are nourishing the saints in the vineyard. That we are called upon not only to bring those who may not have access to the gospel, they may not have access to the Lord of the vineyard at this point, but also those of us who are already part of the vineyard, that we're called upon to nourish one another and to strengthen one another. And really, I think that's what this ministering focus that we've had for the last couple years is really like I think that's the underpinnings of it is that we're called to nourish each other
1: for sure it's it would be really easy to um, put some fertilizer down and walk away and say okay yep, good enough I'm done it'll be fine for the rest of its life I'll call you back in three months (laughs) not even it's it's yeah I'll maybe send you a text and see how (laughs) that's going that there's (laughs) There's that continual awareness of, of the needs, of those that we are to minister to, mm-hmm. that it's not like you said, an every three month kind of check in thing, um, where you know we used to we used to do like our visiting teaching and home teaching, quarterly, interviews and and uh, say how'd it go? Well, we talked once or whatever. You can't you can't do. You can't do that with a tree. You can't do that with people. And, and part of that, I think, is because so much
0: can happen during that time. Mm-hmm. And things that we could have nourished easily at one point, when a lot of time passes, suddenly we may have passed the point of simple nourishment. And mm-hmm. now there is genuine struggle. And, you know, like, I don't think disease is the right word. But, you know, somewhere in that range where we're talking, where things can really, I mean... If I look at what my life was like three months ago from today there's a lot of things that have changed there's a lot of different things that are going well, on in my yeah life. I mean, even mm-hmm.
1: in the last week mm-hmm. you know we so I'm in the release society presidency and one thing that we have been really trying to do just in the lot just this last week is making sure that everybody in our ward or neighborhood has been contacted to make sure that everyone's okay with being in quarantine mm-hmm. do you need anything that type of thing, because um, I think it's kind of hard for people to say yes, I do, when they don't know you. Do you know what I mean? Oh, so I if you s- have, if you have a minister that's reaching out to you, how can I help you? Um, I think our tendency, it just it's human, to say, oh, I'm good, if I don't know the other person, if I don't know how I can trust them and and let them into my life. And even more though, I think.
0: And yet, even in that moment, if there was someone and they were like, actually, yes, I can't leave the house because, Mm -hmm. but I really need, right? Right. Like, that's like a tangible need. And I think, but what if you never called to ask? Exactly. How likely are they to reach out and say, hey, I really hate to bug you. Because I don't even know what your situation is. So, you know, we're all so worried about inconveniencing each Mm -hmm. other that I think sometimes we're missing opportunities to lighten each other's load.
1: (laughs) That's true, too.
0: Yeah. that concern about, oh, I don't want to burden someone else. Or like, well, I don't know what's going on in their house. So like me calling, say, you, Diana, and I'm like, hey, Diana, can you go to the store for me when I don't even, maybe you're sick, right? So, like, <laughs> exactly. to reach out to somebody else feels a little bit intrusive. But if mm-hmm. but if you were to call me and be like, hey, Michelle, I'm going to the store. Do you need anything? And if I really did need something, I'd be like, yes, pick me up a loaf of bread. Right. If there is some, right? <laughs> like, let's see what we can do with I that. I know. So I do think that that's an interesting thing as we talk about kind of like the on the, you know, here we are like troops on the ground when mm-hmm. it comes to ministering. And we have this time when we can remember. I think it's interesting as I was thinking about the young women that I serve with, right? I'm not seeing them every Wednesday night. I'm not seeing them on the on Sundays. And yet, so then the question is just different. It doesn't mean that there's not an, a, a way that I can serve them. But the question is different. What does it look like for mm-hmm. me to serve them? How can I let them know that I love them, that I'm here right. for them? that I've got their back, even though we're not hanging out every Wednesday night, right? So we just, it takes more creativity maybe, or it takes just right. a willingness to keep looking until we figure out the way to do it.
1: It's not always cut and dry. It's not... Um, it's so personal. And I think that we um, have a tendency to, to like check boxes, like, okay, I got that done, and I got that done. So, all right, everything's good. And when it comes to... Really ministering and loving people, we have to dig deeper sometimes. I think, mm-hmm. and be more creative, like you said, because it's not always gonna be straightforward. Okay, and and I'll share like a vulnerable thing. Like sometimes
0: we really do have to like push into the awkward a little bit mm-hmm. for it. For example, like I like just my generation and like me communicating with my teenagers and like just that younger generation with the young women, like. I text a lot. Mm-hmm. Like texting is like a main form of right. communication. And and I'll call people like some of my best friends I'll call and we'll chat or I called my great-grandma or my my grandma, my kid's great-grandma to check on her, right? Like these are my people, like calling them and chatting with them on the phone. It's enjoyable. Right. But if it's actually making a phone call, one of the women that I minister to, she's of the age group where she would much rather have a phone conversation than a text. Right. And I will admit, I was like a little bit nervous Mm -hmm. because I'm like, normally instead of calling her, I just go to her house. I don't want to call. Right? Yeah. And so, you know, obviously I'm not super shy. Like, I feel fine. We've had conversations. I love her. It's fine. But I was like, oh, like I I just felt that awkwardness. Like, Mm -hmm. what if it's a bad time? What if she thinks it's weird that I'm calling? What if she thinks I'm only calling as part of the checklist? Right? Like, but I pushed through it. I pushed through the awkward. I actually pressed the, pressed the green button to go ahead and connect the call, right? <laughs> yeah. And yes, the first like 15 seconds, they were a little bit awkward as we got into our groove. But then I could tell by the end of the conversation that it uplifted my day to talk to her. But I also could tell that she genuinely knew that I was there for her. And because she's in that more vulnerable age group I was able to offer like some specific things like if you don't want to go to the store and risk encountering people I'll shop for you like whatever you need you just let me know right and she knew that that was genuine because I had reached out to her in a way that was gonna be the most comfortable as opposed to like 30 text messages back and forth which for some people is perfect sure but for her I knew that that wasn't gonna be perfect for her
1: I I so, Ch- and I don't know why that whole tangent came up, but no, there no, no it is. But uh, well, this is going to tie in because in, in verse 72, it says the servants did go and labor with their mites. Yes. This is where, you know, I have those tendencies. I think sometimes where it's like, okay, I need to contact this person, but uh, I'm kind of dreading it for whatever reason. I don't know what it is. If it's outside of my comfort zone or I don't know them very well and I'm afraid of how they're going to reject me. Do you know what I mean? And it's like we have to get past that sometimes.
0: And I feel like as background information for those of our listeners who don't have the opportunity to know you, you are one of the people that I always admire because you are willing to push through the awkward, even if it's someone you don't know really well. If you know that there's a struggle going on for someone, you're always one of the first people that I see reaching out to people and connecting with them and I find it inspiring. Like, I'm really thankful that I am able to see that in real time in my own neighborhood.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I, but it's taken me a, a lot of years of learning to push past kind of that uncomfortable. I think sometimes it's a lot of times it's Satan prompting, like giving you these doubts that they're gonna think is, you're weird. Yeah, they're gonna think you're it, Well, that's <laughs> my biggest one. Like, oh man, my weird's gonna show really fast. But um
0: but until if, you if realize it's, that we're all weird, it's I fine. Know. It's um, fine.
1: But I I think as we make an effort to remember that we are doing this in in the name of of the Lord. We're serving him and going to you know shoulder one another's burdens and if that's the place that we're coming from as we're trying to help one another and and we use that as our source of, of strength and our intention right I think people can feel your intention yeah
0: when you're coming from a place of checklist, mm-hmm. people can tell yeah. People can feel a checklist like a mile away, but people like, here's the beautiful part. Conversely, they can feel sincere concern and a sincere desire to right. be of use, to bring love, to, I mean, I, I think that that openness and that open heartedness that we bring to the equation can be felt in the same way. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and and another thing that I love in 72, so you brought that up, and that was actually the next verse I was going to come to anyway. And the part right after the part that you read about the servants going and laboring with their might is that the Lord of the vineyard labored also with them. Right. I love, love, love that. And, and, and I have felt that in my life, hands on. Oh, yes. I have felt it almost continuously that I am not about my work alone, that the Lord right. is with me in it. And in verse 73, we're beginning to see <laughs> what is the fruit of our labor here, right? Verse 73, the natural branches began to grow and thrive exceedingly. And the um, the most precious, because so I thought it was interesting as we're talking about, you know, he, he says um, at the end of verse 74, the Lord of the vineyard had preserved unto himself the natural fruit, which was most precious unto him from the beginning. I think sometimes I've had a tendency to see that really literally, and to think like, why are the people of the Israelite or Jewish descent, you know, why are they like the most precious to him? Like, what about people in other parts of the world? Why aren't they the most precious? And I've come to realize that I I don't think that that's exactly what the Lord's talking about here is like a nationality of people that he has like chosen and that those are the ones that he's going to collect. I feel like the most precious are those that are choosing him and that those that choose to be part of the covenant people and part of the sign of that or part of the fruit of that is that you are willing to forsake all else to embrace him as your savior and as your redeemer that's not always easy it's almost never easy They're
1: one of my favorite music groups one of there's a lyric from one of their songs that says temptation is so friendly it's yes, yes? it is it is it is very enticing you know
0: and and, and and I think when it comes down to it we all have different things that make us hold back mm-hmm. and that's why I've let the imagery of embracing him And I think the part that is the hardest and, and everyone for each one of us, what this is, is different, but to forsake all else to embrace him is I think part of what makes us that good fruit that we then become his chosen people, not because of our nationality or... Mm -hmm our genealogy or anything about that, it has to do with that we are choosing him above all else.
1: And we're doing the work required. Yes. Right?
0: It's not just lip service.
1: Yes. That we are, that our hearts and hands are pure and that we're worthy of the blessings that come from that.
0: Well, and 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 I think that that's part of, when I think of like forsaking all else, I think that that's part of that. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, it's super easy, except... For this. Right. And for me, one of them came came almost up to, like, even my children. Mm-hmm. Like, mm, I'm I'm not a big fan of where you're taking this, and I feel really protective <laughs> of this kid, so I want to pull the plug on this yeah. situation. And leaning in to the Lord saying, so even in this thing that matters so, 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 so much to you, right. do you trust me and forsake all else?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Woo. Yeah. Woo. Those are some uh, hot moments there where we're out of the fire and into the frying pan or whatever the order of that goes.
1: And and you have to be extremely humble to get to that place where your trust is so complete, right? You have to have taken the time to work in your own vineyard and pull weeds where you've needed to pull weeds, even though it's uncomfortable and hard.
0: Okay. And I just had this visual of like standing on the edge of a cliff. Cause mm-hmm. I think sometimes the things that we're asked to follow the savior on and those hard moments that are really the dividing line is those who are willing to make the sacrifice and those who are not sometimes. Mm-hmm. And when we go to jump off the cliff, like the adrenaline's going and we're scared and we're not exactly sure what the outcome is going to be. And the hardest part is letting our feet leave that edge.
1: Right. Right. Solid ground. Right.
0: Because in my experience, as like palm sweaty, terrifying as it can be to Mm -hmm. take that leap to follow the savior, 100% of the time when I do, I'm not airborne for very long before his hands are securely around me. I feel his peace. I feel his support. He's got me. But man, it's still scary to jump off the edge. Right. That was beautifully, that was beautiful imagery. Thank you for that. Well, I'm just saying that that didn't just come from my own brain (laughs) (laughs) because that image just (laughs) popped into my head and I could feel that adrenaline of standing on the edge Mm -hmm. of a cliff. And man, it feels the same when we're having to lean into our savior in those times. Right. Okay, so then verse 76 and, you know, we've gotten to the end of this incredibly long chapter. Verse 76 is when we start talking about the millennium. Right. And for a long time in verse 76, will I lay up the fruit of my vineyard against my own self? And in verse 77, we're talking about the final judgment and purification of the earth. So at the end of the millennium, the final sort of judgment over where people's hearts are and what they desire and ultimately what they choose. And then the purification of the earth itself. He says, then I will cause the good and the bad to be gathered. And the good will I preserve unto myself. And the bad will I cast away into its own place. And then come at the season and the end. And my vineyard will I cause to be burned with fire. So that, you know, and hopefully by breaking it down a little bit like this, if you use those verse separators when you're studying Jacob chapter five, I really found it to be, So much more engaging, and I didn't find myself hitting fast forward by the time I hit verse 50. So I felt like that was good for pacing. I almost feel like, and Diana, you tell me what you think. We're getting close to the end, and I really would like to hit chapter 7 and talk about Sherem. Okay. Um, Is there anything in chapter 6 that you think is, like, for sure cannot be missed? There is. I mean, there's a few things. Chapter 6, just in, like, a quick summary, is Jacob almost in some ways talking to the people after sharing the allegory. So he's kind of finishing off. Yeah, summarizing it it, and is, and, yeah. it. it is still instructive. It is still in teaching mode. Where Chapter 7, I consider to be a little bit more plot mm-hmm. in terms of the people's lives and right. what's happening.
1: There is one thing that... Well, there's a couple things in Chapter 6. I'm sorry, you only get one. Just kidding. <laughs> oh, shoot. How do I choose? <laughs> start Start right. with the first one. Um. Well... He Okay, so in verse 4, actually verse 3, Blessed are, are they who have labored diligently in the vineyard. And then how merciful is our God unto us in verse 4. For he remembereth the house of Israel, both roots and branches, and he stretches forth his hands unto them all the day long. Um That's That stood out imagery. to me. Yeah, that stood out to me because... Um, my note is that God is always with us and he will not give up on us. He will be with us all the day long.
0: Even when we're giving up on ourselves. Yes. His hand is still st- stretched out through that whole period of our life too.
1: And when we've given up on ourselves, sometimes it feels like we're being abandoned by the Lord, but really it's not that. It's just, we are in a place where we're not maybe recognizing how he's helping us and carrying us through.
0: Um, and, and, And sometimes in those moments, I feel like sometimes it's because we can't recognize it. And then sometimes I think that there's some purpose in learning to feel our own limitations. Right. So that we can then recognize the strength that we have when we're united with the Lord. Which, you know, in verse five, he says, Come with full purpose of heart and Mm -hmm. cleave unto God as he cleaveth unto you. And that as we cleave or adhere or attach to the Lord then we step into that power and that strength and that comfort. And so being able to feel the difference, I think, is important. Okay, I, I'm going to take us into Chapter 7, only because otherwise we won't have time to do it. Okay, And I feel like it is worth doing. Because here we have our first example of an Antichrist in the Book of Mormon, unless I missed one, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I, think I mean, he, yeah, it's the first we're, example. We're in homeschool mode over here. <laughs> and so it's possible that my brain is not catching up on this. But basically, um, that's what I read. So th- There's a man, Sherem, he is here. And he takes it upon himself to start just sharing in a very eloquent way his... Um, teachings where he declares unto them in verse two that there should be no Christ and he preached many things which were flattering unto the people and so you know I thought that this was interesting when you talk about the word flattery that it feels like it's kind of human nature to want reassurance that our perspective is the right one and thinking about flattery, like, are we more susceptible to flattery because it can validate our blind spots? I'm not sure. And one of the questions that I had is, how can we insulate ourselves from being vulnerable to this kind of, because it's very seductive. Like, mm-hmm. whatever his words are specifically, we only hear some of them. Right. But for whatever reason, like, it, he wasn't just like the crazy man on the corner that you can kind of ignore, because you can tell he's crazy, like he's not well kept, and right. he's babbling incoherently, and you're like, okay... <laughs> Yeah, Clearly, sure. something's sure. off there. Sure, right? I'm glad you believe that, buddy. I'm going to keep walking into the <laughs> yeah. store, right? Yeah. But no, this is a man who presented himself well. Mm-hmm. He was um, educated. He was well-spoken. He was able to make like logical arguments about things. Mm-hmm. And it was very persuasive to the people.
1: Well, I, we, we see that a lot in Hollywood and politicians and lots of different arenas where people who seem very credible influencers on social media because they are normal quote unquote or they they look you know beautiful or whatever it is that that they seem to come off more believable right
0: and is there a tendency then in many of those like, examples that you brought up, and I don't think we're limited to that, right? Like right. Like, those are kind of big sphere mm-hmm. examples, and we have those people, like, in our own tiny spheres as well. Right, we do. Is there a tendency to assume that if someone speaks with confidence and is very eloquent in their confidence speaking, that they must have truth and they must know what they're speaking about? Right. When the reality is some people just speak with a lot of confidence and maybe they don't know what they're talking about. (laughs) It's true. There's a lot to be said for that. (laughs) (laughs) Because I think we both met those kind of people, right? Yes, we have. Who can just speak and they talk and at the end you're like, I don't think you really said anything. You just kind of went in a
1: circle. But
0: you were confident in it. So I'm going to give you 10 points for confidence. (laughs) But I feel like that's part of the phenomenon that we're seeing is that Sherem, he had no, no, like... I don't shame isn't the right word that I want to use, but he didn't have any hesitation yes. and saying, I don't know if I should be saying this, but gosh, I've been having doubts about this and I'm not sure what to do. That's not the energy that he was giving on Absolutely. any level. He, yeah. he, he was speaking with much confidence. And so it's interesting because one of the things that he really wanted to do was talk to Jacob because, you know, maybe that'd be like the great win for him if he could – you know, stump Jacob, the prophet, then 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 for sure everybody would believe him Mm -hmm. and he would have all the all of the good feelings that he needed. And I love how Jacob says he had hoped to shake me from my faith, notwithstanding the many revelations and the many things which I have seen. And he says, for I truly had seen angels and they had ministered unto me. And also I had heard the voice of the Lord speaking unto me in very word. From time to time, so not just one time, but over time, he'd heard this. Wherefore, I could not be shaken. And, you know, this made me think of President Nelson's, um, you know, he has this instruction. Part of what we're preparing for as we're preparing for General Conference is one to really strengthen our foundation faith in the restoration. But the other thing that has recently come out is learning to hear the voice of the Lord. And that, like, why do we need to learn to hear him? And I I thought, like, learning to recognize and understand God's voice in our life, that it may insulate us from being shaken. Like, this may be part of what President Nelson is trying to teach us. Not only do we get the benefit of having that direction in our life, that Mm step-by-step laboring with us, the Lord, but... When we can learn how to recognize how his voice communicates to us and to understand it, because in some ways it's like learning another language, right? The right. spiritual language mm-hmm. of God and how he talks to us. That maybe by so doing, by really digging in and like being in earnest about President Nelson's instruction, we can be like Jacob and not be shaken in these
1: times. While you were saying that, it made me think of... um Back before we had color ID, back when we had our phones attached to the wall on a cord, mm-hmm. you know, when you would oh, answer yes. and say hello. And if you knew the person well on the other end of the line, you would recognize who they were just by them saying, Hey, how are you? Right. You would recognize by the first them word that came yes, out of their mouth because you know them so well. Mm-hmm. And that's how I like to equate getting to understand and recognize how the spirit speaks to to you personally or to me personally is that it becomes so familiar that you don't have to sit there and go wait who was that where did that thought come from it's oh I know what that was I recognize that yes and it and it's easier to act upon that there's not that doubt that hesitation there's that strength that comes from, I know this voice. And
0: we have that divine confidence, which yeah. is so much different than the blustering confidence of Sherem. Like the confidence <laughs> right. that we get from the Lord. It, it's, it cannot be shaken from yes. us. That That is a pure, calm confidence that we get in right. that way. Um, I appreciate in verse 8, Jacob shares, because, I mean, here Jacob's being put on the hot seat here because mm-hmm. Sherem's kind of throwing down, right? All these different things. And he said, But behold, the Lord God poured in his spirit into my soul insomuch that I did confound him in all his words. And... I appreciate that Jacob is teaching us here that the Lord assisted him. Yeah. He was not left on his own to try with his own logic and his own understanding and, you know, to not only counteract what Sharon was saying, but to make sure that other people weren't being led away from their Savior, right? right? Like there was a lot on the line here Mm -hmm. in terms of that and that in those key moments, when we are placed in key moments, key conversations, key things, Jacob is teaching us the Lord is going to be with you and through his power, it's going to be able to confound whatever's being presented to you. And then he brings him over um. One of the things that I love about how Jacob responds to Sharon is that he brings it right to the Savior. He just brings it right to that core. He's not like, well, you know, being part of this belief is good because it's good for families and it's good for this and and you're more prosperous in the land, right? He's not trying to convince him that there's all these external reasons why he should be be believing in this faith that Jacob has taught he brings it to the core Mm -hmm. um and he defends his faith using his testimony of his redeemer and that when we center ourselves on Christ then we cannot fail we can't be shaken on that so I thought that was a good example in 10 and 11 that's where Jacob shows that and then of course Sherem is maybe a little bit too prideful for his own good because he's not going to just back down like, right. even though he can recognize that, the, you know, I, I think at this point he has to recognize on some level that he's not winning this argument, <laughs> and that he did. but, but which, which just brings his own downfall. Cause in verse 13, he says, show me a sign right. by the power of the Holy ghost. And Jacob is like, I don't think you want to do that. <laughs> right. I, I don't, I don't think you know what you're asking exactly. for. But nevertheless, not my will be done. But if God shall smite thee, let that be a sign unto thee that he has power both in heaven and in earth and also that Christ shall come. And so, of course, you know, he is then smitten down i don't know if you watch the book of mormon video that's associated with this i I thought it was very well done so it's worth checking out you know since we all have some some extra time at home right Mm -hmm. now you can pull out that book of mormon video and cover this whole chapter with your families for come follow me and it's really you know you kind of see visually what happens and you know so so for several days he's just you know down and out And finally, he comes to understand that he is going to die the next day. And he says, bring me out so that I can speak. And in verse 18, Sherem is speaking plainly unto them. And he confessed that he had been deceived by the power of the devil. That when he knew he was going to die and that he was going to meet his maker, essentially, (laughs) he decided maybe it'd be a good idea not to leave the world trying to take down God's plan. Right,
1: The unpardonable sin, right?
0: I mean, I just thought, wow, he, he really had some understanding really mm-hmm. of what was going on to recognize that he needed to backtrack be, before, or to realize that he wanted to backtrack before he left the earth.
1: Well, and how easily people can be deceived. Mm-hmm. Even though they know, maybe in their heart of hearts, that something isn't true, but it's easy to keep going along with it if you've already started down that path, right? Yeah.
0: I mean, it kind of feels like I'd feel kind of dumb to back down now. So I better just keep <laughs> yeah, going. Exactly. I mean, I've been there down before. Gone this far. Yeah. Might as well keep going. Yeah. Um, and then in verse 21, he says, the power of God came down upon them. So all the people that had gathered around to listen to share And I don't think I'd really paid as much attention to this piece of the story before and that they were overcome and fell to the earth. Right. And I wrote the witness was unmistakable. Later, they would not have caused a wonder if perhaps Sharon was right after all, because they experienced together a significant experience. That what, let them yeah, know such what a powerful confirmation. Totally, to let them know what what how, how the Lord felt about that. Um, in verse twenty three, and it came to pass that peace and the love of God was restored again among the people, and they searched the scriptures. And this I thought was interesting. In verse twenty six. Jacob is, you know, kind of saying, you know, here's the end of Jacob's writing now. He's, he's, he's passing the plates to Enos. So Mm -hmm. that's what we're going to read next week. And he says, our lives have passed away as it were. So I'm in verse 26, our lives passed away, like, as it were unto us, a dream. We being a lonesome and a solemn people, wanderers cast out from Jerusalem, born in tribulation in a wilderness and hated of our brethren, which caused wars and contentions, wherefore we did mourn out our days. And I actually really appreciate the realness of that from Jacob, right. because although they were a chosen people because, you know, they they were like being represented as this good branch that got pulled out and put somewhere else right. to grow, they still had cause to mourn. It was hard circumstances were unfair and through no fault of their own. And I'm sure it was very lonely at times to understand what they were being put in. And yet we hear the powerful witness being born of the savior yet to come. This isn't something that they could see with their own eyes, but they had faith in it. They knew that it was true. And Jacob testified that we can hear his voice in the midst of tumultuous circumstances. So, one of the things that I appreciated Jacob being real is because it felt so relatable to me that God's loving pure voice can pierce through any midst of darkness or struggle. And because, so I guess that we can both be good fruit and, and, cleaving unto God and doing all of these things that Jacob has been teaching us in all these chapters and still have cause to mourn. That that doesn't mean we're doing anything wrong, that that's part of mortality, is that we're going oh, to have sure. these experiences that yeah. may feel very unfair and may legitimately actually be unfair. Absolutely. So, and I just love that, you know, that, that reminder that as we open our ears to hear him mm-hmm. And we seek him that that's where we find our peace and amidst it. We're not necessarily gonna find it. In fact, we're not likely to find it just in our external circumstances. Exactly. Which a lot of people are experiencing this very week as all of their external circumstances are getting turned upside down. Exactly. In fact, it was interesting. I was sitting in my room and kind of pondering a little bit last night, and it was interesting because I thought everything is so different, like Everything is so different than it was a week ago. Mm-hmm. Our, like my calendar, you know, my to-do list. <laughs> yes. All of the things that we are busy with and that we're committed to and that we're putting energy into is totally different. And I had this thought, like, what if it never settles back to be the same? Yeah. And then the next thought was maybe it was never supposed to. Yeah. Maybe it's never supposed. That it's like this arbitrary thing that we think how it was is the the way it was supposed to be, that that's not necessarily the case. We have to trust in the Lord, that all we can see is what we've experienced.
1: Uh, One of the other thoughts that I had as you were talking was um, going back to President Nelson and his early years. He was called to be the president of the Sunday School. Mm -hmm. And I love that he has that background because I feel as though because he saw the way that he's I mean he's an incredible teacher and he saw the way that people learned and coming up with now I don't know about you but this the way that the come follow me is is divided into weeks awesome so awesome because I'm like okay I can handle this I can it's like digestible chunks it's like taking the elephant and each week we're (laughs) taking a bite right and and i actually like that it's a week
0: Mm -hmm. because it's long enough right but not too long Mm -hmm. so and if maybe you 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 got off one week that's okay just jump right in the next week each week is its own little unit but it's not every day because i think if it was a, a a, a different assignment every day that might stress me out. Yeah. Like it's nice that there's some flexibility exactly. in our lives and our schedules. Well part. and
1: I've even found that there's some some weeks that I just kind of get on a roll and I'm like reading into the next week and I'm like okay I can do this which is great because then I feel like it gives me a little bit more time to study and I, you know if I get behind okay I can make it up and and it's not like it's like this race to get to the end with everybody else but it's nice to have these, this segment, I just, it works for me better than I, I, I feel like scripture study in the past has.
0: And, 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 and I think maybe there's something really beautiful about knowing that at this time when we can't gather together as a body of Christ, mm-hmm. that we know each of us around the world are all studying the same things right. and we're strengthening our testimonies over the same teachings and the same experiences of these prophets from the book of Mormon and there is still unity to be found in the body of Christ even when we cannot meet together so it's so inspired Diana thank you so much for meeting with me i really Thanks appreciate it me. and we look forward to Enos next week yes excited